Now, y'all are in for a treat this morning. <laughs> I was practicing my sermon in my office, um, as I like to do before, before we start, and I was blissfully interrupted by Carrie Hall, and I didn't get to finish that particular round of practicing, but just so you know, I was in the 25th minute when she stopped me, and I was about halfway done. So um, <laughs> I realize that's a problem, so we're going to fix that, hopefully. Um, so today we're... Well, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about money. And you might be thinking, well, that says faith at home up in the slide, so what does that mean? Why are we talking about money? Well, one reason is because the way we spend our money really speaks a lot about who we are and tells our children about our priorities. That's just, the, the, realistically, that's what it is. The way we spend our money speaks a lot to our children. Now, some others of you may not be worried about the faith at home thing, and you might be thinking, why is the church always talking about money? I don't think that's necessarily true, and proportionately it's not true at all because Jesus and Paul, especially Jesus, he talks about money more than any other topic. More than any other topic. If we were, if we were Jesus, we'd be talking about it every other week. And so we're going to talk about, about money today. That's just the way it is. And, and, and I would offer a couple of things if you come away from this service today feeling guilty about making money, then you've missed the point. If you feel guilty about making money, you've missed the point. If you feel guilty about not giving enough away, you've missed the point. This isn't about guilt. We, our Romans passage, I wish I was preaching on that. I'm not. It's amazing. There's, there's no guilt. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. So don't come away feeling guilty. If you come away from this sermon with your eyes opened, more aware of what's happening in your life and in this culture, that's good. That's the point, to be aware of what's going on. So we'll jump right in. Matthew 13, we've been talking about these parables of Jesus, and I want you to remember one from a couple of weeks ago, the parable of the sower. And one of those seeds that the sower threw out, it threw out on four different types of soil. The good soil grew up into a, into a great plant that produced lots of fruit. So the, the thought is, if the Word of God falls on a heart that's been cleaned, that's been cleansed from sin, been cleansed from, from the distractions of this world, it will grow and produce fruit in that person's life. One of those soils fell on thorny, or one of those seeds fell on thorny soil. And so this, this plant grew, but it was choked out by the thorns. Jesus says, when he's explaining the parable, he says, As for what was sown among thorns... This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word until it proves unfruitful. So keep that in mind as we move into today's parables. We had five or six of them, and they're like shotgun blasts here and there telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. The first two, and we won't get into these, the, the mustard seed and the parable of, of the, the yeast talk to us about how small the kingdom of heaven may seem when it begins how small and insignificant it may seem. And then it grows into this huge mustard tree where it, or it permeates every ounce of that bread and makes it rise. It starts out small. And then it, and then it, then it grows and it, it's fruitful. And so the seed that's being cast out in all these soils in the parable of the sower is a small one indeed. But it's one that grows in our own hearts, in our own life, in our own culture, God willing, the kingdom of God will grow. 
And so then we get to, to not so much what the kingdom of heaven is like, but what our response is. And we have one parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So this guy's working away in his field. He's digging, and he clank, clank, and he digs around. And it's just like in the movies, and there's just treasure. Who knows exactly what it was, but it was a treasure. So what does he do? He doesn't own the field. He's working for somebody else. He buries the treasure. He goes and sells everything he has, everything, his house, his car, his boat. He sells it all. And he comes back and he, he buys that field. Now, this is not a lesson in ethics. <laughs> so if we get hung up on the ethics, we're going to miss the point. Should he have told the owner there's treasure? Maybe. But, but that's not the point. The point is this man has discovered something so precious and so valuable that he gives up everything he owns to get it. Likewise, the parable of the pearl Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who in search of fine pearls, in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. So this guy, he's a pearl dealer. He's probably got pearls all over his shelves. Who knows how many he has? And he's out looking for more, and he finds one pearl. One beautiful, precious pearl. And he sells everything. Again, his home, his cars, his boat. But he also sells hundreds of other pearls just to get that one. It's the kingdom of heaven. It is so precious that we would give up, sell out everything we have to get it. The next parable that Jesus talks about is the parable of the net. And we're not going to get into this one so much because it sounds like a lot about the one we did last week. It's a parable about judgment about what happens when the, mustard, when the mustard tree is grown. What happens when the bread has risen? What's next? Well, it's, it's the last days. It's Jesus' second coming. It's judgment. We talked about that last week. If you want to hear more about it, go listen online. What we, what we came to, what I want you to remember, is judgment isn't bad. We want a God who's going to judge sin so that in the last days there's no more sin. There's no more death. That's what we want. But the judgment is, is, follows these other short parables because Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen one day. This is what's next. When those who are sold out for Christ, who know him like this merchant, who know him like this man who found the treasure, they will shine like stars in the kingdom of God. And so then we come to the end of chapter 13. And Jesus has a little curious parable. And he he says to the, to the disciples, have you understood all these things? Do you get it? Do you know what I'm talking about? And they get it. They're tracking. They got them, at least as, as much as they can. And, and so they say yes. And so Jesus says, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. So the scribes in the Old Testament and in Jesus' day were charged with bringing the word of God to the people with explaining and expounding the good news of God, with explaining and expounding the kingdom of heaven. And so now Jesus is saying, you disciples are now scribes, scribes who understand the kingdom of God. And so you must be like a householder, somebody who's throwing a party in his house, and you bring out all your treasures to share with everyone you've invited. 
And so we've got this treasure, this kingdom of God, and it's our call, our duty to share it. It doesn't necessarily mean preaching. It might for some of you. It doesn't necessarily always mean standing up and giving your testimony, even though that's important. But it does mean living like people who belong to the kingdom of God. We're citizens of the United States, but our first loyalty is citizenship to the kingdom of God. And that's our call, is to be a people. Patriotic, yes, to the United States, but patriotic to the kingdom. And so that uh, brings us to a section that wasn't actually read this morning. It's not in our lectionary. I won't read it, but I'll tell you what happens. Jesus goes, goes home. He leaves. He's done telling parables. He goes to Nazareth. And he gets there, and he's rejected. He is rejected by the people in his own hometown. They reject him. They don't want to hear what he has to say. They don't want to know what he's doing. They don't care about the kingdom. I can see them. I can picture them now sitting in the pews, maybe. And Jesus comes, and they say, they hear his message, and they don't like it, and they're thinking, what happened? That Jesus, he was such a nice boy. Isn't his dad the carpenter and his mother, Mary, she's so sweet? What happened to Jesus? And so there, he's contrasted uh, Nazareth with the disciples. The disciples get it. Nazareth doesn't. And so Jesus comes home and they hardly recognize him and they don't recognize his message. They don't see it. They don't get it. These parables are all about perception. Who perceives and why they perceive and why they get it. And Nazareth does not get it. And so I um, appreciated John's prayer this morning. When he prayed for, for, for me and preaching, he prayed for all of us that we would be able to apply this to our lives. And I think that is perfect. I think that's good. We want the Bible to, to be applicable in our lives. But today, let's maybe turn it around just a little bit. Instead of saying, how do these scriptures apply to me? What if we said... How do I fit in this story? Instead of me interpreting the Bible, what if the Bible was able to interpret me to explain who I am, what I'm doing, and why I'm doing it? What if we let the Bible interpret our lives this morning and entered into this story? And this is where we come back to the parable of the sower. What if we entered into that parable and we thought about Western culture and, and, and thought about our society and thought about where do we fit and we realized that maybe our problem is the thorns. Maybe our problem is the thorns. We're a group of people who've heard the gospel for the most part, who've received this word of God, and maybe there's some thorns that are just choking it out a little bit. I say for us in our society and our culture, not everybody, this is, this is not across the board, but... Many of us, the thorns in our lives tend to do with wealth. They tend to do with money. Other people have different thorns. This isn't just our problem. In Africa, when they receive the gospel, they, are allegi- they have allegiance to Christ, but they also have allegiance, sometimes first and foremost, to their tribe. And so when you see tribal violence, it's sometimes because they haven't worked this out. The tribe is the thorn in their, in, in, not the thorn in their side, but the thorn that's, that's choking them out. And so you see violence between Christian groups because they have these tribal thorns that are getting in the way of the gospel. And so perhaps from time to time we have these thorns and we've got to pull them out, and one of these thorns is wealth. 
It's money. We are a pretty blessed society. We're blessed beyond belief. We can come here and worship. We can come here and praise God, and nobody's going to come in and tell us we can't. If you lived in China, if you lived, well, if you lived in China, you wouldn't, you would be arrested for doing this if you weren't at an uh, official church. If you were, if you were in the Middle East, you might be killed for doing this. So the fact that we can come here and worship is a blessing. It is such a blessing to us. But sometimes it's actually a curse, I think. Sometimes it might be a curse. And the reason I say that is if your very life is in danger for worshiping God, you can really understand what it means to give up everything for Jesus. If you have converted from Islam and you're giving up everything for Christ, you're going to give up your family and your friends and your job And every day you're wondering when somebody's coming to get you. And so they know what it's like to give it all up. And here, I think sometimes we don't. And I think that's why these thorns start to grow around us. And and we can be in a country that's wealthy and we can make lots of money. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing that can distract us from the gospel. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves as we think through this is, can we give it up? If we had to give it up, can we give it up? I'm going to look briefly at a passage we did not read this morning, but it's very important on this topic. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. And Paul says, you, you will recognize these verses, I would imagine. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything away from the world. So Paul is telling us that what God wants us to do is be content with what he's given us. To be content with whatever it is, money, no money, whatever it is, to be content. And when we're content in God's gifts, he is glorified. So God has blessed us. God has given us money. Some of us more than others, but he's given us wealth, and and he wants us to be content with that. The problem is when we're not content with what God's given us, when we're not content with God, and we go pursuing, instead of pursuing the giver of the gifts, if we pursue the gift itself, then there's a problem. Then we're no longer content with God. We're no longer content with His gifts. We want more and more and more. And so Paul says, those who, listen to this very carefully, very carefully. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, for the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evils. It does not say money is the root of all evil, Satan is the root of all evil. A love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That sounds painful. So money in itself is not the problem. It's the love of money. It's the desire of riches. It's chasing after these things that are not God. These things that are not Jesus Christ. So when we're content with God and content with Jesus, we're content with what we have, whether it's a lot or a little. That's what Paul is saying. But he also knows 
that this wealth is particularly problematic. There's lots of different things that fall into these categories, but money is particularly problematic. It is a root of all kinds of evils. And so he gives some instruction. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Riches are not truly life. Possessions are not truly life. Jesus Christ. Contentment with Jesus Christ is truly life. And so when the guy digs up the kingdom of God, he says, this is it. This is what I've been looking for, searching for, working for my whole entire life. I've found it. It found me, actually. And he sells everything. This is the one pearl I've been looking for my whole life. It found me, and I sell, give away everything. But Paul's clear. He's not calling everybody to give away everything. Jesus isn't calling everybody to give away everything. Jesus is calling us to give away those things which are blocking us from knowing him. So for the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, sell everything and follow me. Jesus knows that this man, his money, his possessions, that's what's in the way of him following Christ. So for some of us, it might be something else. It might be our jobs. It might not be necessarily money, but it might be, you know, our boat, our status. Maybe for some of us, it's even our families. Those are hard words to hear. But to be willing to give those up in some form or another to follow Jesus is what he's calling us to. And again, because he speaks so much about money, you have to think that Jesus knows something about money that makes it hard, that gets in our way between us and God. And so the question we have to to ask ourselves, like I said earlier, is can we give it all up? Money is not evil. Sin is evil. But we've got to hold loosely to what God has given us. If Jesus comes knocking on our door and says, it's time to give it all up, can we do it? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And so Paul's guidelines are clear. To avoid this trap, to be able to sell everything to get that one treasure, we've got to be able to give it away. To check our hearts every now and then and say, am I really on track? God's blessed me abundantly. Am I on track? Am I able to give this away? And then we're called to do it. We're called to do it. And so what then can we do? What, what, what can we do? Well, well, the first thing is we can't really do anything. We're not going to earn this. Giving more money isn't going to make us better Christians. We do it abundantly out of, out of our love of God, out of our love for what He's done for us. And so what can we do? Well, there's three things. Um, Mike Lumpkin says this all the time, and he's right. Give from the top and give consistently. Every time you're paid, give some of that to God. The Christian standard, and we've heard this before, the Christian standard is 10%. But that's a number. That's something to work towards. If you look at at your budget and you say, wow, that's 10% is a lot. It is, but it's not at the same time. You can work towards it. Start with 3%. 
Start with 4%. Make a commitment and give from the top, and then next year say, okay, I'm going to go to 5 and 6. That's okay. You don't have to give it to St. Paul's. I don't care where you give it. Give it to something that, the, the, give it to the gospel. I think the gospel is here. It's everywhere, but I, th- I think it's especially here. I'm a member of this church. I love this church, and so I give to this church. But you might not be called to do that, and that's okay. We're not going to check on you. The second thing I would say that we can do if we, if we were into doing stuff is, is to give away more than just money. Give away your time. It's easy to hear about the mission trip or the, the children's programs or the, the going to the Presbyterian home and ministering to the folks there. It's easy to hear about that and say, oh, I like it. I'm on board. I'm going to write a check. That's great. Please do that. But make sure that writing a check isn't just an excuse for, I don't really want to do it myself. Make sure that when you write the check, what you're not really saying is, well, I'll write you this check because I don't have time to go help because I've got to go make some more money. Because that's sometimes what it is. is. Well, I'll help you with my money so I can go make some more money, but not my time. Jesus wants all of us, our money, our time, everything. And finally, and this is a particularly faith at homish part, but it all is because all of this is going to get passed down to your children, whether you like it or not. All of it is. All of your spending, however you spend your money, that's, that's what your children are going to see. But particularly, be, be aware and be intentional. Teach your children to be generous. Teach them to give away what they receive, to give away some money, not all of it, but some of it, whether it's a quarter or a nickel or a couple bucks, to give it away. Or even if it's not money, they get new toys, give away the old toys. Teach them to do it joyfully and happily. You'll, you will be so blessed when your child comes to you just unexpectedly and says, you know what, I don't play with this toy. I'd, I'd like to give it to somebody. That is such a blessing. And then they'll learn. They'll learn that, that what we've got is not ours, that it's God's, and we hold on to it loosely and we can give it away, and that's okay. That's okay. That's just three things. There's certainly more things that you can do if, if you were so inclined. It's just to start. Pray about it. See what God's putting on your heart. But just remember that we've been blessed. But it's not about the blessings. Again, if we pursue the blessings, if we pursue the gifts, we're going to lose sight of the giver. We're going to lose sight of the giver, and that's the problem. Receive them gratefully and give them away just as gratefully. Let us see through what we have, let us see through our stuff, let us see through what God has given us and really see the kingdom. The kingdom that's almost imperceptible like a mustard seed. The kingdom that's buried. The kingdom that's hiding on some store shelf with a bunch of other pearls. That one, that one pearl, that one kingdom. Because friends, there is a danger. There is a danger that we might be like the people of Nazareth. When Jesus comes to our door, will we recognize him? That's the question. Will we recognize him? Will we be able to give it all away? We get kind of used sometimes, I think, to a Jesus that affirms consumerism. We get used to a Jesus that rewards hard work. We get used to a Jesus that says God helps those who help themselves. Friends, that's not in the Bible. 
God doesn't help those who help Himself. Jesus didn't even help Himself off the cross. Jesus worked hard, and that was His reward. His reward was a bloody cross for all that hard work. Jesus gave up everything so that we could have eternal life. Jesus gave up everything so that we could have the kingdom of God. And so today, just ask yourself this question. When we see the kingdom of this Jesus, when we see Jesus Christ, can we give everything up if, he, if we have to, if he calls us to? Would we even recognize this Jesus if he knocked on our door? Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you give us abundant blessings. Abundant blessings. And they're all from you and they're all yours. And may we return them to you. Um, multiplied, tenfold, twentyfold, however you would work it in our lives, Lord. Give us discernment as to what we are to do, what we are to give, what we are to keep. Give us your wisdom. And Lord, take away our guilt because we come before you as sinful people. We come to your cross knowing that nothing can separate us from your love. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.